We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. It's nice to see you all. I've been, uh, sounds a bit weird, but I've been talking to God about you all week. <laughs> Thinking about what to say, asking him, and I feel like, um, yeah, just seeing you all. Got it, got it. Thank you. Um, I think God's got a really clear message that he wants to say to us today. Uh, we are looking at 1 Kings 20. When we go back. We are looking at 1 Kings 20. Um, let's see. So I think God wants to say to us that there are things in your life that have had a hold on you and that it's time to draw a line under them this morning. And it's kind of what Mark is talking about just now, about apathy. Like, sometimes we just come to the meeting and we don't really expect anything to change. We just come along. And I think that God today is saying that anything that causes you to question his power or his mercy needs to go. I think it's enough now. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And I've put silence in the spirit of intimidation. Because in this passage, we're going to see an intimidator trying to intimidate. And I think that's what's been going on for some of us. If we start off with a who's who, so in 1 Kings chapter 20, we have three main figures. Our first figure, these are accurate pictures, by the way. Our first figure is um, Ben-Hadad, and he's a really, really bad guy. Ben-Hadad just means son of Hadad. He's king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria, and all you really need to know about him is he's not a good guy, and he wants to attack Samaria. That's what he's trying to do in 1 Kings chapter 20. He's trying to attack Samaria. So, your second guy is Ahab. Ahab is king over Israel, which includes the land of Samaria. So, Ben-Hadad is attacking Ahab. That's what's going on. Ahab's claim to fame in 1 Kings 16 is that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So, yeah, yeah, he's good at being bad. So, two really bad kings, and then our third figure is this unnamed prophet. We don't know who this prophet is. Um, Potentially it's Elijah. Potentially it's Elisha, who we've just seen previously. Um, If you remember when Elijah was really upset and speaking to God and saying, I'm the only one left, there's no one left, um, God says to him, actually, there's Elisha who you're going to call, and there's 7,000 others. So it it could be that this prophet is one of those 7,000 that God speaks about. We're not really sure. In any case, he's an advisor to Ahab. So you've got Ben-Hadad is attacking Ahab. Ahab is going to fight back, and he's got this prophet on his side. That's the crux of the story. Um, Jeremy's going to read our first 12 verses for us. Do you want to read from here? or we... um, What do you prefer? Yeah, I can read. Yeah. Here you go. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. He went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. He sent messages into the city to, king, to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, This is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. The king of Israel answered, Just as you say, my lord, the king, I and all I have are yours. The messengers came again and said, This is what Ben-Hadad says. 
I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives and your children. But about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your officials. They will seize everything you value and carry it away. The king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, See how this man is looking for trouble. When he sent for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold, I did not refuse him. The elders and all the elders and the people all answered, Don't listen to him or agree to his demands. So he replied to Ben Hadad's messengers, Tell my lord the king, your servant will do all that you demanded the first time, but this demand I cannot meet. They left and took the answer back to Ben Hadad. Then Ben Hadad sent another message to Ahab May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. The king of Israel answered, Tell him, one who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. Ben Hadad heard this message while he and the kings were drinking in their tents, and he ordered his men prepare to attack. So they prepared to attack the city. Thank you so much. So the wonderful Sophie is going to come up and help us understand this a little bit more. Right, um, so the first time I read this, I was a bit confused. And um, if I'm confused about something, I like to bring it back to modern day um, to make it a bit more relatable to me. Um, so with all of these kind of back and forths in these passages, sending messengers, uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of a WhatsApp conversation. So here we go. So we've got Ben Haddad, and he's just rocked up outside of Samaria. And he's just done this grand entrance. And he tells King Ahab, I'm coming for your gold and silver and your best wives and children. Whoa, that's a pretty big demand. Now, how is King Ahab going to respond? Well, any logical response would be absolutely not, right? But we see that King Ahab says, okay, thumbs up. What? Right, so now Ben-Hadad is like, oh, should I have asked for more? So he's like, oh, actually, my men will search everything and take all you value. Whoa. I mean, King Ahab is shocked. <laughs> he is speechless. He doesn't know what to say. Now, what, what would we do if, if we're not sure how to respond to someone? We might go ask a friend. So that's exactly what King Ahab does. He goes to his trusty elders of Samaria group chat. He tells them everything that Ben-Hadad has said. And I mean, their reactions are all over the place. You know, they're horrified, they're angry. They're like, no way, the audacity. And King Ahab's like, right? And you know, all the responses are just, you know, they all agree, no. You have to tell him, no, that's ridiculous. And the advice they end up giving him is, don't listen to him or agree to his demands. Right. So now King Ahab is like pretty confident now. He's like, okay, I can, I can go back to Ben-Hadad. And he's like, absolutely not. I could do your first command. But that, the second command, was a step too far. Thumbs down, no. Ooh, 
Now that has made Ben-Hadad a bit angry, and he's like, I swear I will crush you and all of Samaria beyond dust. Oh, does King Ahab get worried? Is he a bit scared now? No, he's like, easier said than done. Don't get ahead of yourself. You haven't won yet. Okay. (laughs) And Ben-Hadad, well... We'll find out what happens next. <laughs> Thanks, so Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you, Zoe. <laughs> Amazing. So, I think that helps to illuminate it a little bit. Um, <laughs> Amazing. So, as Soph was saying... You know, you've got Ben-Hadad coming into Ahab saying, I'm going to take this thing from you. At first, Ahab's like, all right, yeah, fine. Then Ben-Hadad comes and asks for more. And I feel like God's saying, you know, this is a, this is a strategy of the, of the intimidator, really, to kind of come in and always be asking for more. It's the enemy's strategy that if you give him an inch, if you let him in a little bit, he's going to try and take a mile. And it made me think of what Hugh Osgood was saying a couple of weeks ago. He said, the mountain you are facing may be a stronghold that God wants to break. And he encouraged us that we need to stop letting mountains in our life speak to us. And we need to turn around and start speaking to them. And I think, you know, this has been really key for me. Um, Recently, God's been doing quite amazing stuff for me. I mean, I've sort of setting me free from what I would call, I would probably say it's anxiety really just worrying about things so much about details about things that just don't need to be worried about and I think you know I shared with some people that I think I'd been letting it speak to me in the sense I was like this is just who I am it's just my personality and that some people are naturally just really relaxed and they don't worry and other people just worry about everything and I'm just in that category and I think it came to a point where I had to say, it's enough now, I don't, I don't want to live like that anymore. And God's really just been setting me free from that. You know, it's a work in progress, but I can see things that previously would have really caused stress in me or caused me to worry or sent me on a spiral. It's not happening anymore. And I think this is what I'm saying that I think God has for us today, that there are things in our lives that he wants to break. Um, I don't know why the S has gone. Speak to the mountains. Um, My question is, what is the mountain that you're facing that it's time to speak to this morning? What is that thing that's coming in and trying to intimidate you, saying it's going to take things from you? And maybe you've given it a little bit of room in your life, and God's saying no. Not even a little bit of room. Um, It might... I've put some examples. You know, it's not limited to this. It might be that you're facing anxiety, sickness stress at work, issues in your family. It might be that you're stuck in a bit of a spiral of self-pity where you're not seeking resolve on things. It might be something that's been done to you that feels like you can't shake it, like you can't get rid of it. And I think that, you know, today, I think it's really important that we take a stand against that. And Jonty's actually going to lead us in a song. I think Jamie as well, if Jamie... Uh, it's going to lead us in this song. It's called Speak to the Mountains. When me and Jonty were speaking about this, we came across this song, and I feel like it's really significant. So Jonty and Jamie are going to minister it to us now, and then at the end, we're going to sing it all together. And put the lyrics up while they're getting ready. So just two verses and a chorus, and it starts with, Why would I worry when giants come calling my name? 
my God is so much bigger than troubles I face. And our chorus, which I think is the, the main thing, the really key thing is, I won't be shaken, I won't be moved. My God is faithful and his promise is true. So I speak to the mountains, it's time to move. My God is bigger, better, stronger and greater than you. And I think there's a shift there, like sometimes we can pray and speak to God about our problems and sometimes we need to turn and speak to the problem itself. So, yeah. I worry when giants come calling my name My God is so much bigger than troubles I face Oh, why would I hunger for power or riches or fame? My God is so much better than all of these things. Oh, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be moved. My God is faithful. His promise is I speak to the mountains, it's time to move. My God is bigger, he's better, he's stronger, he's greater than you. My enemies scatter, cause they know the battle is done. My God is stronger, the victory's already won. He died for my ransom and rose up on the third day. Cause my God is greater than death, hell and the grave. Hallelujah. Oh, I won't be shaken. Oh, I won't be moved. My God is faithful. His promise is true. So I speak to the mountains. It's time to move. My God is bigger, he's better, he's stronger and greater than you. Oh, I won't be shaken, no, I won't be moved. My God is faithful, his promise is true. So I speak to the mountains, it's time to move. Cause my God is bigger, he's better, stronger and greater than you. Speak to the mountains. Speak to the mountains, 
It's time to move Cause my God is bigger, better, stronger and greater than you Amen. Yeah, I really, you know, I've, I've, I've got other things prepared, but I think if this is what, if you really feel like God's speaking to you about this now, I think maybe let's just take a minute just to speak to him about that. Identify what is, what is that thing in your life that's been speaking to you, that it's enough now. Just tell him, what is that thing? And just speak to that thing now and tell it, my God's bigger than you. He's stronger and he's greater. Thank you, Lord. Amazing. Right, we will come back to that song at the end and I think we can declare it together. Um... So, Ben-Hadad's come in, he's tried to intimidate, Ahab has taken a stand and said, no, you know, you're not going to come in and take everything from me. Then, I'm going to summarise for you, the unnamed prophet comes to Ahab and says, you're going to fight today, but the Lord will deliver the army into your hands. And it happens exactly as the prophet says, Ben-Hadad is completely defeated, Ahab is completely victorious. And at this moment, it could be that Ahab starts to maybe feel a bit complacent, like, okay, won the battle, it's over. But the the unnamed prophet says to him, strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring, the king of Aram, that's Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram will attack you again. I think this is really interesting when we consider what God's been speaking to us about. So in August 2023, Cor had the word for us that, God has said we need to take up our positions and stand firm. This is from 2 Chronicles 2017, um, where God delivers a mighty army into, I can't remember whose hands, Jehoshaphat? Can't remember. God wins the battle. Um, and they're told to take up their positions and stand firm. And I think what I feel like this is, this is about, where it's saying about strengthening your position, it's like once you've come through a battle with God, it's really important that we can continue to strengthen our position and stand strong, that we don't become complacent. And I was speaking to Jamie about this because sometimes I find it hard, like I sort of get lost a bit in the metaphor, like what does that mean to strengthen my position? And Jamie was saying, you know, we strengthen our position by delighting more in who God is and by doing the things that delight him. Um, just asking that question, God, what pleases you? What moves your heart? Asking him, you know, in all these people that you've put in my life that I'm in contact with, God, where are you already moving? Where are you already doing things? And can I partner with you in that? Can I get behind that? It's, again, what Hugh Osgood was talking about, you know, getting behind where God's already moving. Um, So I think this could be really key for some of us, um, particularly because we know that it's never about the battle itself anyway. Like, it's amazing that God brings us through things, but it's always about knowing him more. It's always about trusting him more. Um, So, yeah, strengthening our position, I think, is quite key. 
Um, yes. So once um, Ahab's army have won, then Ben-Hadad in his defeat is having a chat with his advisors. And they say to him, don't worry, they only won because they've got this god over the hills and because the, the battle was in the hills. But if we'd fought them on the flat ground, they would have lost. So their god's only god over this particular terrain. And again, this is another strategy of the intimidator to limit where God is lord over. And actually, there's no area in our life that God's not lord over. It says, because the Arameans, so because Ben-Hadad's people, think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. So God's really angry about this, that there are people saying he's only God of the hills, he's not God of the valleys. We know that this is a lie. And I think coming back to what, you know, what we've just been reflecting on in terms of mountains in our life, I think the question I have for you is, who told you that God couldn't reach there? Who told you that there was an area in your life that God wasn't Lord over? Who said, no, that thing, it can't change? Because the enemy is a liar. It's all he does. He comes to steal, to kill and destroy. He's a liar and he's been a liar from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, he says to Eve, did God really say, don't eat that? Yeah, he did. He did say that. Did God really say you're forgiven? Yeah. Did God really say you're loved, that you're his, that you're not alone? Yeah. Again and again and again, he said that to you and it's enough. This strategy of the enemy that comes to tell us, yeah, God can change that thing for you, but not that. It's too much. That's just, that's just who you are. That's just how things are. You know, like, God can come and fix your stress at work, but he can't help you at home with your family. Or God can heal you, but he can't take away the, the, the anxiety that's left. It's not true. You know, it says in Zephaniah 3, 17... I love this verse. Oh, this is, this is just what I've been saying. So, are there places that we think God isn't God? It's a strategy of the intimidator. And it's actually a deception that a lot of people live under in the world. They, limp, they try and limit our faith, try and limit our God. But he can't be limited. He's Lord over everything. Um, this is Zephaniah three seventeen. One of my favourite passages says... The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This is the truth. God is so in love with you, he rejoices over you with singing. Anything that made you believe otherwise is a lie. It's not true, and I think that's what I feel that God is saying today, that it's, it's, it's enough now. This, is, um, this has been like the first half, really. I felt like this chapter was split into two. So this has been like the build-up to the battle, the conversations between Ben-Hadad and Ahab, and then the battle itself. We're now going to look at the second part. So God again, because you know God warns him that he's going to come back in the spring, there's going to be another battle. There's a second battle, and again, Ben-Hadad is defeated, completely and utterly defeated. And in the scripture it says, we find it, it says that Ben-Hadad is hiding in an inner room. And some commentators say this could actually be a toilet. He's, he's completely defeated. He's cowering. He's hiding in this inner room. 
And I'll just read this. It's just, this is the final bit we're going to look at today. I'll just read it to us. So his officials said to him, Look, we have heard the kings of Israel are merciful. Let us go to the king of Israel with sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads. Perhaps he will spare your life. Wearing sackcloth around their waist and ropes around their head, they went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant, Ben-Hadad, says, Please, let me live. The king answered, Is he still alive? He's my brother. The men took this as a good sign and were quick to pick up this word. Yes, yes, your brother Ben-Hadad, they said. Go and get him. So he says, go, go and bring Ben-Hadad to me. And when Ben-Hadad comes, Ahab takes him up in his chariot. And Ben-Hadad says, I will return the cities my father took from your father. You may set up your own market areas in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab says, on the basis of this treaty, I will set you free. So he made a treaty with him, and he let him go. So I want to zoom in here on Ben-Hadad. So far, we've been looking more from Ahab's side. If we look at Ben-Hadad in defeat, so he's cowering in this inner room. And then he hears from some of his, what does it say, his officials. We've heard that the kings of Israel are merciful. And perhaps, perhaps he'll save your life. Ben-Hadad hears this from his officials who have also been defeated. And you can just sort of imagine that bit of hope that it gives him. He's like, oh, maybe this king that I wasn't going to show any mercy to is going to show me some mercy. You know, what's amazing is that we have so much more than a perhaps. I'm not standing here saying, God's probably, he's probably merciful, probably. Probably if you give your life to him, he'll save you, Probably. No, I'm saying 100%. It's a declaration that we serve a merciful God and that when we turn to him and we give our life to him, he saves our life, he changes everything, changes our hearts, gives us a new heart. And Spurgeon writes an essay on this. I'm not going to read the whole essay. There's a particular bit that I've picked out which I think is really significant and I think might be for some people, particularly this morning. Um, let me see. There we are. Yes, right. I think this is for some of us. Let's see. You have not exhausted the loving kindness of Jehovah, that's Jesus. You might have required a lot of mercy. You might feel like you've taken a lot of withdrawals from the bank of God's mercy. But his reserves are as deep as the sea, they're as deep as the gates of hell. Spurgeon writes about manifold mercy, and he rewrites it as manyfold mercy. Manifold mercy appears in Nehemiah 9.19, where he's writing about God's faithfulness to the people of Israel in the wilderness. He says, yet in your manifold mercy, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. So Spurgeon picks that up and puts it with 1 Kings, 1 Kings 20. Manifold mercy, manyfold mercy. I open one fold of it, and I find forgiveness for sins past. Then another, and I find forgiveness for sins to come. And another, and I find mercy that leads me to righteousness. If there are many folds, there's a fold for you. And if your case seems like an extraordinary one, and you have manifold sins, there is manifold mercies to suit you. Perhaps your mercy is in the last fold, and the enemy wants to prevent it being opened. But God will give you the mercy predestined to you. 
The Bible says, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This mercy is fresh and strong. It's mercy that waits for you. It follows you to the final hour, and it waits for you at the borders of the grave. Mercy that won't deny you, but pleads with you this morning. You know, last week um, in worship, Dan and Abs were sitting a bit behind me, and I could hear Aidan chatting. I was sort of aware he was there. And I was speaking to someone, and then I turned around, and he was standing right there, waiting for a hug. It was the highlight of my Sunday. It was lovely. But I feel like God's saying, that's like his mercy. It's like sometimes we're just doing things, and we turn around, and it's right there waiting for us. And if you, can feel, if you feel like God's speaking to you about this now, his mercy is waiting for you. It's right there. It's not a long way off. I just thank you, Jesus. So he hears that, that the king of Israel might be merciful to him. And then immediately, I find it interesting that he goes immediately. He understands that he's defeated and he knows that he needs to take action. Wearing sackcloth, which is like a very, very uncomfortable fabric. It's like, you know, it's horrible to wear. Wearing sackcloth around their waist and a rope around their heads. This is actually like, he understands that he's sinned so much against Ahab that he's going with the noose already around his neck. Because he's basically saying to Ahab, I've sinned so much, you might as well hang me right now and I understand that. So he's going in sackcloth. He's got the noose ready to go. They go to the king of Israel and he says, please let me live. Please let me live. You know, Ben-Hadad is this, is this massive king, king over all, all the land of Syria. It's a massive area. He's definitely got kind of priestly robes, things like that. He doesn't go wearing that. And I think God might be saying to some of us today, you know, thank you. <laughs> um, saying to some of us that we can sometimes as Christians kind of collect accolades of sort of almost like badges, like things that we think justify us or separate us from the sinner that we were when Christ died for us. And they're not always bad things. You know, it might be like, hey, I go to church and, you know, I'm really committed to household, pray every day, I'm really reading my Bible, I love people, I don't swear, don't get drunk. You sort of collect these little pins and you feel quite proud. But I think it's so important that we don't forget that it's, you know, it's good to pursue holiness. He says, be holy as I am holy. But that's not what justifies us. Because if it was, we'd all be in trouble. And actually, when we come before the king, we come in sackcloth, knowing that actually we've sinned so much against God that actually he doesn't owe us anything. You have that awareness of your sin. You know you're broken. You know you need mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And, yeah, maybe that's for some of us this morning that we've kind of collected those badges. And I think it's just good to remember, like, what, what is it that actually justifies me before Christ? It's not those things. It's, it's the blood of Jesus. If we look at Ahab's response to Ben-Hadad when he comes in, so he said, please let me live. Oh, yeah. Sackcloth also appears in Isaiah 3, verse 24. Um, Isaiah's prophesying about this fallen nation that is going to, basically, all the things, all the finery that they dress themselves in is going to be sackcloth. Um, 
that's just the significance of sackcloth, really, that it's something that you wear rather than your nice clothes. Um, yeah. You know, Ben-Hadad comes before Ahab empty-handed with sackcloth and a noose. But we do come before God with something. And we come before him knowing with the assurance of our salvation, with promise upon promise of who he is, of his faithfulness to us. John 11:25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Hebrews 4:16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Other translations say, let us boldly approach the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews 6, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary, that's where God's glory dwells, behind the curtain. John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Ben-Hadad goes cowering in his sackcloth with his rope, please let me live. We go with nothing apart from the promise of salvation through Jesus. If we look at the way that Ahab responds to him then, so he says, please let me live. The king answers, is he still alive? Ben-Hadad's still alive. And I think... I think this is a bit of a separate point, but I think it's key for some of us. You know, there might be someone in your life, a family member, a friend that you've been praying for really faithfully for a long time, and it just feels like there's just, they're just not giving anything back. You know, you're praying for them, but it's like there's just nothing, you feel like there's just nothing going on there. Don't really feel like they're coming closer to God. They're not interested. It's like kind of a bit of a rejection. I think it's like, I want, I want to give you a bit of hope that when they come to know Jesus, this might be what you say. Oh, you're still alive. I thought, I thought you were dead. I thought, you, I thought you were never going to come to know Jesus. You're still alive. And I think Jesus says it to us sometimes, like when we've been asleep for a while. Oh, you're still... He, John's he's still alive. He's still, okay, he's still pursuing me. And I think, um, you know, I just want to give you hope if that's for you this morning. If we look at how Ahab receives Ben-Hadad. He says, he's my brother. He says, come up into my chariot. And then he makes a treaty with him and he sets him free. How much more will our reception be? You know, this, you know, this is all right. Yeah, he's my brother, chariot, treaty. You know, think about the prodigal son when he sees the son a long way off and he runs to him. He brings him back to the house. He slaughters the fattened calf. He puts this feast on for him. He can't help it. That's what God does for us. Every time someone comes home to him, every time someone turns to him, there's that celebration in heaven. When we go to be with him in glory, there will be that celebration. I just want to read this final quote. It's again from, from Spurgeon. He says... He says, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus just as you are for everything and you are saved. And we will meet again in that land where they wear no sackcloth nor ropes on their necks 
but where their heads are crowned with immortal honour and their bodies are robed in immortality. Christ is the way, the truth and the life. Look to him, all the ends of the earth. Look to him and live. The Lord will enable you to do so. This is what God's saying to us this morning. Trust in him. I think these are some things people might be thinking about. If God's speaking to you about something else, then listen to him. I think, you know, in a minute, John T and Jamie are going to come back. We're going to declare that song together. What is the mountain that you're facing? What's that thing that you said to God at the beginning that you're facing that it's time for us to speak to this morning? Is it that you've just come through a battle and you're being encouraged now to strengthen your position? Are we asking him, what pleases you, Lord? Where are you moving? Maybe ask him that this morning. Are there places that we think God isn't God? Is there areas of our life where we've believed the liar that God can't reach there? Or maybe you're a bit like Ben-Hadad and it's like, do you know that God's merciful? Is your hope in him? Um, I'm going to ask Jonty and Jamie to come back. Yeah, and I just finished with what I said at the beginning about what I think God's saying. He's saying, there are things in your life that have had a hold on you that it's time to draw a line under this morning. Anything that causes you to question God's power and God's mercy needs to go. to stand if you want to join in. Oh, I would I worry when giants come calling my name. My God is so much bigger than troubles I face. Why would I hunger for power or riches or fame? My God is so much better than all of these things. And I won't be shaken, no, I won't be moved. My God is faithful. His promise is true, and so I speak to the mountains, it's time to move. My God is bigger, He's better, stronger and greater than you. My enemies scatter, cause they know the battle is done. My God is stronger, the victory's already won. 
Jesus. He died for my ransom and rose upon the third day. Cause my God is greater than death, hell and the grave. And I won't be shaken, no I won't be moved. My God is faithful, His promise is true. So I speak to the mountains, it's time to move. My God is bigger, He's better, stronger, and greater than you. I won't be shaken. Oh, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be My God is faithful, His promise is true. So I speak to the mountains, it's time to move. My God is bigger, He's better, stronger and greater than you. scatter my enemies scatter because they know the battle is done hallelujah my god is stronger the victory's already won yes he died for my ransom and rose up on the third day Cause my God is greater than death, hell, and the grave. No, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be moved. My God is faithful. His promise is true. So I speak to the mountains. Speak to the mountains, it's time to move. My God is bigger, it's better, stronger, and greater than you. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.